Coffee Breaks Over. We're going to talk about Go, what it means to experience God's call for ordinary people. Now, I realized, remember I corrected that. That's ordinary as in normal people, okay? I know all of you are extraordinarily normal, okay? So, extraordinary people in their normal, everyday life. My name is Pastor Dale. If you have your Bibles today, we're always in the Word here at Seacoast. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. So get you get turned there. There's an outline that I think, had, you know, I'm a, I'm a diagram guy. I got some of my best diagrams ever. Uh, okay, I kind of went diagram crazy this week. So you will need my diagram. So pull this thing out. You'll, it'll help you as we teach the Word and study it today. If you're new, I'd love to connect with you after the service. So Let's pray and let's engage with God in His Word. Father God, thank You so much. Thanks for the call that You give on our lives, that we have purpose. Wow. Just to think that the God of the universe has a calling for every single one of us. And Father, continue to teach us what that's about. Help us to correct our misconceptions of what it means to be people who go and connect to our culture, our world, with Your good news. So thank you for the calling into our everyday normal lives and teach us what that's all about. In Jesus' name, amen. A story I read this week from uh, one of my favorite books, I'll tell you about it later, goes like this. He says, there's a legend which recounts the return of Jesus to glory to heaven after his time on earth. Even in heaven, he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. The angel Gabriel, remember him? Christmas story. The angel Gabe approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. Jesus responded, I did. And Gabriel continued, And do they know, do they know how much You love them and what you did for them. Oh, no, said Jesus. Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know about it. Gabriel looked perplexed. Then what have you done, he said, to to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus responded, well... I've asked uh, Peter, James, and John, and a few of their friends to tell other people. And those who are told by them will tell other people who will tell other people until um, all of mankind will hear of my life and what I've done for them. Well, Gabriel kind of frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew, he knew well. He knew well what poor stuff men are made of. So he said, yes, Jesus, but what if Peter, James, and John grow weary? Or what if the people who come after them forget? Or what if way down the line, even in the 21st century, people in Southern California don't tell others about you? Uh, Have you made any other plans? Jesus said, "Uh, I have no other plan. I have no other plan. I'm counting on them. 
I have no other plan. It's amazing to think that the most important mission in the history of humanity, addressing the most important need that people have in all of humanity, that Jesus has no better plan than you and me. We are it. You can kind of relate to Gabriel, can't you? You know, knowing what he knows about people as an angel who had been real involved in showing up several times, interacting with humanity, knowing what, as he said, knowing what people are kind of made of, knowing our track record. He said, you know, Jesus, uh, kind of hope you have a plan B. But Jesus said, I got no other plan. And as we're studying this series, God's call for ordinary people in everyday life, uh, I think that kind of, wow, that's kind of a wake-up call for me because it makes me realize that in the, in the lives of my friends, my family, the people that my life touches, that God's plan is to deliver good news through me. And he doesn't really have plan B. Now, I, I don't want to kind of use that to put a lot of pressure on you this morning, but I think it's kind of a wake-up call to the importance of why we're taking eight weeks to really study and explore what is this thing called go. What does it mean for us to go and encounter and connect to our world? We kind of started the series with the image of the ambassador for Christ. Remember that? In other words, you looked at the fact that uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says we are called to be ambassadors, to be do a ministry of reconciling the world back to God, reconciling the world, bringing reconciliation, bringing peace between man and God. And that's our call to be an ambassador, kind of a, a royal representative of a king and a kingdom. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that as ambassadors, we have this awesome, incredible, we ought to be excited about it kind of message. As Ryan did a great job of unpacking the essence of the gospel and the good news in John 3.16 and broke it into pieces and, and, and the fact that we have good news that we should look forward to communicating as we go. We talked last week in, in Ephesians 2.10 about the fact, though, that a lot of times there's stereotypes of what that looks like as we think of people that go as missionaries, pastors, evangelists, and, and a lot of us kind of say, you know, some, I'm, I'm not really up for that. I don't think I'm wired that way. And last week, the good news was Ephesians 2.10. That first, we're saved by grace alone, that without works, God works. Without our works, God works to save us, to give us life in response to our simple faith in Christ. That by grace, you are saved through faith, and that has nothing to do with your works. No reason for us to boast. It's a gift from God. That's the incredible good news. But then verse 10 last week said, For God has created us. In fact, it, it, remember last week it says he has custom made you. He has woven you as a unique individual to go and to do good works that he created for you to do. Only you can do those because we're all different. Remember the title last week was when we go, we go as you customized by the grace of God. So I'm free to not have to feel like, hey, you don't have to be Dale. You don't have to be Ryan. You don't have to be Paige or Matt or you don't have to be Billy Graham. You just need to be you recreated by the grace of God going. So now it's a very unique thing that we get to do. Well, today we're going to continue to go deeper on this subject 
And we're going to introduce one of, I think, one of my favorite metaphors that Jesus uses. And it's a metaphor that on the surface kind of surprised me. I've heard it, and I've been familiar with it. You've heard it. When, you, when, I, when I drop it in a minute, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I haven't heard that before. But we're going to explore what does it really mean to go, and this week, to be salt. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the ambassador, that can be intimidating. Okay, think of ambassadors. When you think of ambassadors, answer yes or no. Are they uh, more or are, are they educated more or less? Which one? More. Yeah, more education. Are they probably a little more articulate? Yes. Are they probably a little more uh, skilled? Yes. Are they probably living to some pretty high standard? Yes. So, you know, being an ambassador can be kind of intimidating. So now Jesus is going to switch it up on us. And this week, He's going to say this. Here is our verse of the morning. Read it with me if you have your Bibles. Matthew 5, 13. And Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no no longer good for anything except being thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Use it to pave the path. Cut down the mud and the dust. That's all. You throw it away. If it loses its saltiness. But I love this metaphor. Jesus says, you go and just be salt. Now, that's pretty pretty common substance, right? I mean, salt is a common substance. Jesus doesn't say, all right, you are the gold of the earth. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, you are the precious jewel of the earth. You are the, uh, help me, a diamond of the earth. Go and be the diamond. No, he just says, be salt. A common, everyday substance. And I love this metaphor because as, as that's something I think, okay, I think I can do that. I may not be gold, I may not be a diamond, but I think I can say, maybe I can learn to be salt. So as we uh, listen to the Word, let's see what it means to be salt. In fact, it's actually a double metaphor if we read the context. Again, you are the salt of the earth. Be the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light. This week we focus on salt. Next week we're going to focus on light. All right? So here we go. What's it mean to really be told by Jesus you are the salt of the earth and to realize there is no other? In other words, whatever it means for us as followers of Jesus to be the salt for the earth, to be the salt for humanity. He's not talking about the planet as in the dirt. He's talking about people. Later on, he says, you are the light of the world, the earth, the world, pretty all-inclusive, right? So we are the global hope as salt and light. Next week, light. This week, what's it mean to be salt knowing that Jesus has no plan B for providing it? First thing I want you to do is to look in the context. Because when I look at this concept of salt, now it's, you may have heard before very quickly that salt basically had two functions in, in, in the culture and still does today. Salt has two functions. Uh, number one was to be a preservative. Uh, they used it especially with meat to preserve meat and, and, uh, and you, could, you could cure meat out with salt and it would help the meat last and not go rotten and go bad. So it, it's usable. So to, so to some way, salt... Is, was a common preservative in the day. But the other aspect of salt is that it increases flavor 
and it draws out the flavor. It adds zest and flavor. It makes something not bland but more attractive. And I really think in today's passage, that's where Jesus is landing because we see in the second half when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt for humanity. And he says, and by the way, if salt has lost its tastelessness, if it's lost its tastiness, if, if it's lost its ability to create that flavor, then, then, then it's really no good but to just use it like common whatever. Throw it on the path and people can walk on it. But it's, it's really not that good. So Jesus is, I think, emphasizing in this passage that we are in some way to be the people that help add flavor and zest and attractiveness to this message of the gospel to draw them to want to taste it and consume it. In the context, what do we mean? You know, when I look at a simple statement, you are the salt of the earth, I think, okay, so what's that mean? The best way to interpret that is to say, well, let's look at the passages around it. We know it has something to do about impacting our world, salt and light, so that the world is drawn to glorify God. We know that from the verses after it. But when I looked at the passage, what got me kind of excited this week was that I really believe when people teach this passage, they, 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 they miss the point because they don't look back. Because this is actually part of a sermon. So we, we pulled this statement out of the middle of a sermon by Jesus, but the sermon starts in verse 1. So let's set the context. Because what we're going to see in the context is this. The context is what's called the Beatitudes. Have you heard of that? The Beatitudes are that famous passage by Jesus where he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he's describing the people of the kingdom of God. And in the passage, he's basically saying, if you're in my kingdom, you're going to be incredibly blessed. But you're incredibly blessed so that you might go on to be a blessing. So it's blessed to be in the kingdom so that you can be, so that you can be a blessing to those outside of the kingdom. That's the essence of the Beatitudes. Pick it up with me in Matthew 5. I just want to remind you of this great passage. Here we go. Jesus said to them, opening his mouth, he sits down on them, he goes up on the mountain, opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, first of all, pay attention to the different things that Jesus promises to the people that are part of his kingdom. <clears throat> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I think a reference to the fact that someday there would be a kingdom of God would come to earth and there'd be an eternal kingdom on the planet. And, and Jesus says they're going to be there. They're going to be part of that. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it's kind of building to a climax, you know, because he says, wow, you have all these blessings, blessings, you're in, you're in the kingdom, you're going to inherit the earth, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be satisfied. In fact, you are going to see God. You're going to look God in the eye someday. You're going to be with him. You're going to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You don't just see God, but you're actually a child of God. You're embraced and welcomed as his child. You are the sons of God. Blessed are those who get persecuted, though, for the sake of following Jesus, their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And in fact, he adds one more emphasis. Blessed are you even when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because you're following me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And in the same way, they persecuted the prophets before you. You are the salt of the earth. You see, there's no break in that. We often chop up Scripture and we miss the point. Because right before Jesus, right as Jesus comes out of these, wow, if you, know, if you're, if you follow me and you're part of my kingdom, blessed, blessed, blessed. You're, all these things are going to, you're going to be blessed by all these things. This is how I, I expect my kingdom followers will be living. And guess what? You're going to be the salt of the earth. So if you want to be salt, we've got to understand what comes before this verse. Now, I want to focus first on, uh, in fact, I've given you, I think, a fun diagram. I'm a diagram nut, okay? I don't know, I went, I went crazy today. But pull out that diagram and focus first on the, on the kingdom blessings uh, that we have in Christ. Uh, listen to them. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. You are, you're going to be comforted, inherit the earth, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to receive mercy. You're going to see God, be a child of God, and get great rewards. What an incredible, what an incredible circle, or in your outline, box full of blessings. Now, this is yours in Christ. I need to say time out here and jump you to the end of Matthew, uh, Matthew 7. Because, again, we're dropping in the middle of a sermon. You hear that? Okay? No, so, uh, here's the deal. Jesus... If you're listening to this, you're thinking, wow, I want these kingdom blessings. I want to be this kind of person. But then later in the sermon, right when they're starting to look at this and think, yeah, I want all this, but Jesus, I don't think I can do and live what you're describing. Jesus ends the sermon by saying, now that I've frustrated you and created a hunger that you want all this, here's the final part of the sermon. And in Matthew 7, he says this. Now, here's how you become part of my kingdom. You don't build your house on sand. You build it on a rock. Remember that? That's how the sermon ends. And he says, building your house on the sand is, is trying to make yourself good enough to be in my kingdom. You can't do it. You will fail. And then having deflated them, he says, but... If you follow me, if you obey and follow me, if you become one of my disciples, what he really means is if you put your faith in me, if you build your life on me, he says, man, that's like building a house on a rock that does not move. It stands firm. So in, toward the end of this, Jesus makes it very clear that these blessings are not ours because we earn them. They are ours because we put our trust in Christ. He's the foundation for this and for these blessings. So I just needed to jump there for a second so you, you catch the essence of the whole sermon. But now let's back up and talk a little more about what it means to be salt. So the, being, the beginning point of being salt is this list. Because when I think about what does my culture, what do people in everyday life really want, what are they yearning for even if they can't verbalize it, that's a pretty cool list. If you ask, do you, do you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven someday? I think most people vote how? Yes, up or down? You, you think most people, I think they vote up. Yeah. Uh, do you, would you like to be comforted whenever you 
go through tough times and mourn? Up. Do you want to inherit the earth? Up. Do you want to be satisfied? Up. Do you want to receive mercy? Uh, you know, uh, even if you, you know, do you want to learn how to receive? Yes, I want mercy. I want to see God be a child of God. And I, yeah, some great rewards at the end of the day, that would be icing on the cake. See, this is a great list. And I think to be salt begins with us understanding it is great news for us to talk about the blessings of being part of the kingdom of God. So this is the list first that I, I think increases my saltiness as I go out and engage my world. And I think one of the mistakes Christians have made is they've gotten distracted by too many other things apart from this list. We get distracted talking about other aspects, secondary aspects of the faith. We get, we, you know, people want to debate different views of morality. They want to debate different views of sexuality. They want to debate various political issues concerning laws and you know, all this kind of stuff. And next thing you know, we as Christians aren't talking about the good news of what's in this box. We're talking about all the other peripheral issues that actually separate us from the place where, uh, in our culture that God wants us to be salt. So to increase our saltiness, let's stay focused here. This is good news. Amen? Yeah, this is good news. So, now, after that, this good news should affect us. In other words, it calls us to be salt and light in a world of decay and darkness. That's our call. We'll talk about salt today because it's the preservative that addresses rot and decay. Next slide. It, it's that preservative. It adds zest and flavor. Okay, we're on the call to be salt and light. Okay, let's go there. The call to be salt and light. Maybe I, did I mess you up there? I did. I did. Okay. I love when my PowerPoint person is following my sermon notes and I'm not. Okay. Thanks. Okay, here we go. The reality is this. Uh, back up one more where I should have been. There we go. Back up one more. There we go. The, the cool thing is when you look at the Beatitudes, that when we get excited about what's in that inner circle, about the blessings of being in the kingdom of God, then, then it does describe a very attractive lifestyle, doesn't it? If I were to take those Beatitudes and, and put them in words that describe what it does in my life, uh, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I become more righteous. In other words, I live in obedience to God more. I become more hopeful. In other words, even if I mourn, I find comfort because I have hopes. I'm a hopeful person. Whenever I'm offended, I give mercy and I receive mercy. I'm more merciful. I am pure of heart. I am, even when persecuted, it says I can, I can stand for what I believe even when the culture persecutes me. That's what I call being courageous. Uh, I'm obedient. I'm a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. And I'm humble instead of proud. That's an attractive person. Wouldn't you agree? So I think that when we look at this, see, Jesus is describing this type of a life. And he's saying, wow, when we realize what we have in Christ and we, and we begin to live out of that, we are the salt of the earth. It's those type things that make us salty. It's those type things. Thank you. Thank you, Apple. Now we'll go on. So the call is to be salt and light in a world of decay and darkness. That's the, that's, the, that's the summary line. Okay? Yeah, there it is. Now, the salt is the preservative, adding zest and flavor. Light, next week, is different. Light gives direction. Light brings clarity to truth. 
And that's an important part of going and engaging our world as well. But I want to focus the rest of our time this morning specifically on this salty issue. Now, the passage seems to be implying two things. And here they are, and they're in your outline. God wants us to be more salty because some Christians, to be blunt, are not very salty. Um, they've, and in fact, Jesus warns us. He said, you know, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You're either good salt or bad salt. If you're good salt, then you deliver, the, you deliver what, what God wants into the culture. If you're bad salt, you're still salt, but to be blunt, you're not really of much value to the kingdom of God, and you, you might as well throw it out and walk on it. So the, the challenge of the morning seems to be two things. Next slide. And that is to be salty and then also to get out of the shaker and engage with our world. Now, I, because I, it helps me to picture diagrams, there's a book that I read years ago that I still think I'd highly, highly recommend to you, one of the best books on this topic. It's by Joe Aldrich, entitled Lifestyle Evangelism. And, and Aldrich in his book, way back in the 70s, it's been updated since then, so I, I recommend you get a copy. Aldrich talks about this, and he uses a diagram that shows that there's two things needed to really be salty and to salt the earth. Number one, he says, we need a balance. We need a radical difference from the culture. That we as followers of Jesus should be radically different. But radically different in a positive, salty way, not a, not a way that, um, that actually decreases our influence on, on the culture. And when I looked at the passage, I thought, what are some of the attributes that I see, even in the Beatitudes, that would make me salty? And here's my top four, okay? Number one, the Beatitudes paint a picture of me being real, that is, authentic and transparent in the culture. When you first look at the Beatitudes, I used to think it's describing the super-Christian. I mean, because it's a pretty impressive list, right? But when you read it more carefully, listen to the tone, what I call the vibe of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are thee, and here's the list. I'll pop it up. Boom. Here's the list. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, these are people that are poor in spirit. They're broken but blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, which implies they're suffering, but they're suffering with hope. Blessed are those who are gentle, they're meek and humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, you know, so, but what that means is, it means that they're not righteous yet, but yet they have a hunger for it, they have a thirst for it, but they haven't arrived. So I love the, the kind of the realness of this. Blessed are those who are being merciful, which implies, by the way, that you're being mistreated some of the time and you need to forgive people as you need to be forgiven. Blessed are the pure in heart. I, mean, I thought that was the super Christian. What that implies is they're pure in heart, which means they're sincere in the heart level, but they're still struggling. They're still, they're still in process. Blessed are the peacemakers seeking peace, not just trying to win every battle. See, this is where I think when we look at this, we see, a, we see a very real, open, honest person. And blessed are those, finally, who do get persecuted because you're being like Jesus. And Jesus wasn't liked by everyone. So choosing to live this life that is designed to be blessed, to be a blessing, uh, is a very real, authentic, transparent kind of life. 
and, and what I realized is that, and then the, right after Jesus says this, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're just what the earth needs to create a thirst for me. They need to see you being this. I love the honesty in that. People need to see that Christians don't have perfect lives and that we are always in process. But yet, there's a real vibe of authenticity, honesty, that says, I'm very, I'm real. I'm not a hypocrite, but I'm way, way from perfect. And that life still happens to Christians. Life has its ups and its downs. We mourn at times. But yet in Christ we have comfort. We get persecuted at times. But yet we know there is great reward ahead. We have problems at times, but we know we will see God. See that? See the balance? This past week, Becky and I, um, just as an illustration from our life, um, we had a great weekend planned uh, for Valentine's Day. Um, we were going to celebrate by babysitting three of our grandchildren. Real romantic environment, okay? Uh, I did buy flowers, but okay. And then the grandchildren ate them, but you know, um, <laughs> kind of. And that was so that my firstborn daughter and her husband could go, could go away and celebrate their 12th anniversary. And they, were, they had a whole trip planned, five days out of town, and that was their plan. Okay. So fast forward to today. Today my wife is home with two sick grandchildren. Um, my daughter and uh, son-in-law have spent the last three nights at Rady's Children's Hospital with the third one, uh, where he has contracted a, a massive outbreak of sores in his mouth and throat that the doctors are still not 100% sure what's causing it. Can't eat, can't drink. Um, can be something that will clear up, or it can be a very serious deal. Now, hey, I'm a pastor, and my son-in-law is a youth pastor, which gets double points. If you're a children's pastor, you get triple points. Um, but life happens. Bad stuff happens. And we mourn. I mean, to be told that your grandson is sick and can't eat and can't drink and they don't know what's causing it and it could be a very serious deal. I don't want to go into it. And I would show you a picture, but the pictures are too gross. Now the good news is as of this morning he's doing better and uh, we know he has pneumonia and, and that's actually a good thing. But that also shows you the seriousness. When you think that having pneumonia is good news, then the other alternatives are really bad. But I share that with you because I think as uh, it's just one more little snapshot that whether no matter what you do as a follower of Jesus, bad stuff happens. And, and, and the Beatitudes are not describing members of the kingdom of God who never experience bad news. But, they're, but they're, it's describing a, a very attractive, salty lifestyle of people that can, in the midst of their tears, can have hope.
in the midst of their grief can be comforted. In the midst of even being persecuted, and you know something, there is great reward. I'm going to see God. I'm going to be with God. I'm a child of God. And that's good news. And see, that's why. I think when we begin to live that type of life, we become salty. We become salty. So to go out first, you've got to have a radical difference. Let me show you my, my big diagram here. I love this. You've got to have a radical difference um, from our world. Number one, by being real. Number two, by being obedient. He, he describes them. We have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it's, it's an obedient lifestyle. We are committed to trying to obey our God. And it's good for the world to see that because that's different. Now, here's the deal. Be obedient to God's word, not man's rules. Another book I like to recommend is the book uh, Accidental Pharisees by uh, Larry Osborne because Larry talks about the fact that Christians today often have committed kind of, we've accidentally become accidental Pharisees. Now, what were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were serious about their faith, so serious that they took the, the law of God and they added their own laws on top of it. Remember that? So that, you know... Um, they added they made up new laws so they made sure they didn't break god's laws and i think as christians i grew up in that type of a culture i grew up in a culture for example if i can give you a couple of funny illustrations from my childhood in which um, when i went to my grandmother's house we were not allowed to bring a, a deck of playing cards and the reason is um uh, gambling is 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 wrong and playing cards are used for gambling, so you don't want to allow playing cards in the house. Now, I could bring cards that had pictures on them. So we could play Rook, just not poker. You know, so, so that, that's the reality. But, but that was how my grandmother tried to protect herself and her family. Um, she wouldn't allow... Uh, I went to a church that someone wanted to give a pool table to the church, and they said, no, uh, pool halls are where people get drunk and gamble. So you don't have pool tables, and they have pool tables. So churches can't have a pool table, you know, because you're getting kind of close to getting drunk if you have a pool table. So, you know, um, I mean, I know this sounds kind of funny for us in Southern California. I had good friends. Uh, my friend's dad was a pastor, and their church said, if you're serious about following Jesus, we know that there is some pretty dirty dancing that goes on that can cause you to, to get overstimulated. And there is. There is dirty dancing you want to stay away from. Therefore, you don't dance at all. Therefore, you don't go to the prom. You know, so th this is the kind of crazy thinking that Christians do. One more example would be uh, the Bible clearly says drunkenness is sin. Uh, and, and so you don't want to get drunk because you get drunk, you're letting alcohol control you instead of you being it, you know, instead of God controlling you. So you don't want to do that. So we as Christians don't want to ever get drunk, so we say, so you never drink. So therefore, I had an uncle who was a huge Cincinnati Reds fan in honor of Chris Hart this morning. Grew up near Cincinnati. Big powerhouse, big red machine of the 1970s. Huge fan, season ticket holder to the Reds. Became a Christian, follower of Jesus. His church taught him Christians don't drink. Therefore, Christians don't go to places that serve alcohol. Therefore, he stopped going to baseball games because they served beer at the stadium. Now, a lot of that may be beyond what we struggle with. But yet, in your life, where are you creating rules that go beyond what the Bible teaches? And, and, and what we do is we create lifestyles that don't allow us to be salt in our culture. Okay? I mean, if I throw a Super Bowl party... 
uh, I need to probably, if I'm going to invite my neighborhood, I need to have some brew or else my neighbors are not coming. Okay? So, and I realize, by the way, if you struggle with alcohol, then you should not do this. So let me add that caution. I understand that. What I'm saying is, as a culture, we need to realize we are free to engage with the culture. We are free to enjoy things in the culture. Uh, you know, I mean, Jesus made wine for a wedding, for heaven's sakes. So, you know, but, but we as Christians, in, in wanting to never violate God's laws, we create our own laws and go beyond them. And every time you go beyond God's laws, you're creating laws that if they were needed, God would have thought them up. And I don't know about your life, but it's a struggle for me to just live in obedience to God's laws so I don't need yours on top of them. Amen? Amen. So we have that freedom. So be obedient, though. Because living in obedience to God's laws will make you different from the culture. Amen? Yeah. Be faithful, living by kingdom values instead of the values of this world. And love with grace, loving God and others like yourself. See, these four things to me create saltiness in my life in a very positive, attractive way. Be real, be obedient to God, be faithful to different kingdom values. Live by the values of God's kingdom, not the values of Southern California. And then love with grace. And my saltiness goes up. But my saltiness goes up, I still got a second problem. I need to get out of the salt shaker to do any good. That can be the purest salt that ever was made by God. And if I don't touch the stuff that's rotting, if I don't touch the culture, if I don't touch people that need Christ, I am of no good. So the second challenge that we, that we end on today is we need to go out and salt. That is to get out of the shaker and engage our world. What Aldrich in his book does in a great little diagram is he says, therefore we need a balance. We need a balance of being salt and light by having a radical difference from the world. Therefore, we have a message worth giving while having a radical engagement with the world so we have an audience for the message. And what he talks about are things like this in my language, uh, that, that along with being radically different, living in obedience to God, living by God's values, loving unconditionally by grace, having that kind of salty difference, for me to have a radical engagement, I've got to learn to connect with people without compromising my own beliefs. I need to engage with people without endorsing things that I don't necessarily think are right. But I have to have friends like Jesus did who, who he engaged with people. He went to parties with people that were very different than him. Jesus was criticized most for partying with two groups, tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, here's the deal. It's been a while since I had an invitation from either of those groups to their parties. See, one of my goals is I need more invitations from that group. Okay? Uh, maybe not the prostitutes, but okay. But at least, you know, you get the drift. No, there's people that are not living by Christian values because I need friends that need Christ. And, and, and when I begin to engage without endorsement, connect without compromise, listen without judgment, just listen and learn their story. Now, you know, now, yes, maybe their lifestyle is wrong. Maybe it's outside of God's will. But the reality is I need to listen, learn their story, get to know them, 
without them immediately feeling judged by me. And then I need to love them without expectation. And when I start surprising people by showing acts of love toward them, I'm now beginning to engage my culture. And then eventually I can love them with truth and gossip the gospel, talk about the gospel, the good news. But that often comes only when I go from being salt to being light. Now as we wrap up, here's what I want to close with. I want to challenge you this week as you pray through this and think about it in your life groups if you do, to ask this question. Which of these three diagrams represent my current life? Am I a balanced ambassador where I'm radically different but yet radically engaged with my friends? Or am I one of these? And I've given you the diagrams. Am I out of balance in this direction where there's very little difference between my life and theirs, but I'm very assimilated into the culture, but there's nothing different about me and them? If that's the case, you're no longer salt because you've lost your message. You've lost your distinction as a kingdom follower of Jesus. Or, boom, let's go the other way. Boom, there we go. Or I have the problem of not assimilation, but isolation. And I'm no longer salt and light because, uh, you know, I'm isolated from my culture because, oh, I, I'm very different than them. But the problem is I have very little engagement. Because i got no friends outside of my Christian circles. Outside of my salt shaker, i got no friends. I come on Sunday morning to the big Seacoast salt shaker. And then I run on Tuesday night to my little tiny salt shaker of my small group. And then I meet with another little couple grains of salt for, for my accountability team. And then I run back to the big salt shaker on Sunday, and that's my week. And in the meantime, Jesus says, Be my salt. Be different, but engage the world I died for. What a great challenge. So this week, look at those diagrams and ask yourself, Lord, how can I be radically different but yet radically engaged? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the wisdom and truth of your word. Uh, Lord, as we, as we um, close our time with one final song, even as we give to you as our expression of our love and our offerings, I pray that we just can sit and prayerfully reflect and listen and think, Lord, uh, where am I? Where am I in allowing the, the truth of the kingdom of God change me to be radically different, but yet in a positive, salty kind of way and choose me to be motivated, to be radically engaged, building friendships, showing your love to a world that is rotten and dying in desperate need of your salt. Make us effective as your salt in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we give to you, use this. Use it to let our church better salt the earth in Christ's name. Amen.